0: Film. This is episode number forty. My goodness, four zero. Um, this is Mitchell Main here, live and direct, not with X Ray today, but we have a very special guest. Very special guest to me, indeed. This is my little brother, Eric. Um, Eric, say what up to the people.
1: Hey, what up, you guys?
0: Now, the show is called Teachers Talk Film, and we're not veering away from the title of the show because Eric is indeed a theater teacher, and Mm -hmm. um, we're going to hear a little bit about some theatrical background and things like that from a theater teacher, Um, but before we do that, Eric, just tell us a little bit about kind of like your journey into theater, um, why you wanted to be a teacher, things like that.
1: Yeah, so I mean, it started like growing up, you know, me, me being the youngest, you and Robert, where you hung out, we would have to mostly sports play video games, stuff like that. Garrett and Alicia would do their own thing because they're like the oldest ones with their own friends, you know. So, me being the youngest, you know, I always played like pretend all the time, like by myself because you guys would be like too old to play with toys or, you know, <laughs> or stuff like that. So, I'd be in my room with like my action figures or like my little like Nerf guns or something like that. And i always make up stories in my head. Um, and then, of course, you get to that age where they say like, oh, you got to grow up and all that stuff. And, and I did, you know, I dropped the toys and all that stuff and, you know, donate to Goodwill uh, and whenever. And so I, I like lost that. And then years go by and I, you know, I do band, I do football. And then it wasn't until my senior year in high school where my friends came up and said like, hey, do you want to do, um, you know, would you want to audition for the musical? And I was like, what? The musical? <laughs> it was legally blonde. It was legally blonde, the musical. And and at first I was like, no, I couldn't do that. No, no way, no way. And um, and they got a couple of my friends, and my friends started like, it might be fun. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, pretend and you know, yeah, sure, why not? So so me and my friends auditioned for the show, and we got callbacks. And I don't know what it was, but I remember I, I auditioned with. They just told me to do a Disney song. And I did uh, When We're Human from Princess and the Frog. And I did two verses. And I don't know what it was, but I just had so much fun doing it. And then, of course, I get into the show. I played as Grandmaster Chad. It's still the most embarrassing thing in the world. My mom has a video of my my, my moment, my solo, of the song. And I, <laughs> at, at the time, I thought it was fine. But now looking back after what I've done now with years of practice and everything, oh, my God, it's awful. And I never <laughs> want to see it again. So, so years go by, I graduate and I, when I go to school at Metro, um, and I was going to be in hospitality and I just didn't like college. It just, I didn't like it. It was not fun at the time. I, I, I was doubting myself, of, you know, some stuff got to me personally and I, I was going to drop out and everything. And I remember my dad who was soup, like I was getting berated, like I was getting yelled at, you know, just cause they didn't want me to drop out and all my dads was like just do something you want to do just do something you think you want to do just just try to stay okay just try to keep going and finish out the your year and i went to my the department the theater department cuz i was i was going to shows like if you don't know denver uh, where Metro's at it's right across the street from the dcpa and i would go there uh, getting student tickets cuz we would like if you go last last hour before the show you get half off tickets so i would go hour an hour before the show and show my student id and i would get like tickets to musicals or plays that are going on for like 10 15 bucks and they're fairly decent seats too like i remember i saw uh something rotten for like 20 bucks and i almost got like orchestra seats that co- would cost like 120 bucks you wow. know so it was stuff like that so i Dipped my toes in into theater. It was my minor first, but then I took my minor more seriously than my major, which was already education because I just like, I don't know, something about teaching, it was just something that it's like a calling. Like it truly is a calling. You just, no one can just be a teacher. Like it just happens, you know? I don't know if that's what happened with you. It's just like, I always want to be a teacher. It's just, I had great relationships with my teachers. And I I thought there was such a big impact, you know? So I wanted to do that as well. I just didn't know what I wanted to teach. And when I got into theater at Metro, then my mentor over there convinced me to switch to my major because she saw something in me that says, like, you have a passion for this, you know? And it all stemmed from that playing pretend when I was a little kid. And, uh, And I was going up against actors who's done this their whole lives. And so every day was a new lesson to me. And I soaked in everything like a sponge, no matter where mm-hmm. I was. It could be as simple as your intro to theater class to being in guys and dolls or, and then when I did shows outside of the, uh, outside of my college, that's where I really learned everything. Um, and I, I soaked in everything like a sponge. So, uh, and the ultimate goal was those lessons that I've learned, I can convey that to my future students to, to really thrive in the theater space, specifically the stage. because um, that's what I stayed in. I stayed on stage before I on not acting in front of cameras. And and that was like it for me. And that's the moment where I said, oh my God, I'm gonna be a teacher. I'm gonna be a theater teacher. That's all I want to do. So when I was the only person in my department that wanted to do that. Everyone else wanted to be to be, you know, a traveling tour technician, an actor props master makeup costume designer, stuff like that which they all I have so many friends in different branches in the theater community across the country and mine was specifically the education side of things so every every assignment and project that I had at that time conveyed through education and that was like the ultimate goal and and, and I'm glad to say that finally after got 3 years after graduating i got that and i'm in my dream job and couldn't couldn't be any happier and even like i'm comfortable not performing now like i don't want to like this times i do want to perform and and mm-hmm. do shows and plays and musicals if i have the chance but i'm comfortable not doing it <laughs> anymore i love directing i love working with kids in theater and it's it's just so much fun so oh, that's kind awesome, of awesome, The root of everything, you know.
0: Yeah, it's been cool. You're a couple years younger than me. You're twenty-five, right? Twenty-six. I'm two. You're I 26.
1: think I'm two years young. Yeah, I'm two
0: years younger than you and Robert. Yeah, so you're two years younger than me. It's been cool to see your maturation into the process because I remember hearing about you auditioning for the legally blonde play, and we were all kind of thrown <laughs> off. But then like my mom said you did really really well. My mom said that your dad was like surprised that you were that good. Um and it was just kind of like catapulting you into the realm of theater, but it sounds like you were kind of doing that without knowing it as a young kid, which is really cool. Um mm-hmm. and just, just from a brotherly standpoint, it's cool to see you grow into it. It's cool to see you take in the the teaching profession and following mm-hmm. the footsteps man because it is truly i think the most important job out there you're mm-hmm. gonna kill it so i'm super super proud of you
1: yeah it's so funny uh, you know when i remember when dad saw my first production i was in guys dolls yeah i was guys mm-hmm. dolls at metro and <laughs> one of, he does not understand the concept of theater it, he'll never will I, I don't think um i remember i had the freeze i those this one moment where i had the freeze it was like a still shot of guys doll. and i'm right there and dad just happened to be in like the first or second row and i happened to stop like right in front of him and i, I just hear this i was like i was like freezing and not looking at him i just hear eric it's us eric. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then after the show you know hugs and flowers and all that stuff and then he comes to me and says why do you have to act like so like oh and, oh. and like so like <laughs> Large and bombastic, and I was like, "Well, that's just theater, dude. Like, that's just us on the stage. It's not like it's not like a movie where you're two feet in front of the camera and you can see the smallest little twitches from an actor. Right. I'm like, I'm performing not just to you in the first or second round, performing to people in the balconies, on the mezzanine, in the back. You got to you're performing for everyone, not just you know, not just the camera, which is like the opposite. You no, know? so it, it it's hilarious though." That is funny. Awesome. That,
0: that was actually going to bring me into one of my first like questions that I had for you. Um, we try on the podcast to like bring in educational aspects to mm-hmm. the reviews and things like that. Usually it's relating to like the making of film and and or like its connection to like thematic lessons and things like that. Things that English teachers would talk about, film studies mm-hmm. teachers would talk about. Um, but you as a theater teacher can potentially shine some light on acting in particular. Um, You talked a little bit, you said it's different than theatrical performances are different than film performances behind a screen. Mm -hmm. Um, They're both acting, but they're both incredibly different. What are some of the differences between them? Um, And what are some of the similarities? Obviously we know like, acting for a movie you get multiple takes and things like that but Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. like what would you say i i would personally say being a theater actor would probably be harder and i know a lot of actors get their start on stage and then Mm -hmm. they go to screen um Mm -hmm. but what's the differences what would you provide to that conversation
1: so it just it's i think for me the difference is the environment and the because you you Cause they both, they both stem from the same goal is to achieve the suspense of disbelief. Mm. You know, we always want the audience to forget that they're in a theater space, either live or at a film. And that's like, you know, you forget that. Um, those moments where you're like, Oh yeah, I forgot that this is a superhero and these someone like this doesn't really exist. But to them, to you in that moment, you're like, Oh my gosh, this is so real. You know, same thing goes in theater where you're watching either like an amazing monologue of a Shakespeare and you're like, oh my gosh, like this man's really going through it. But then you realize, well, that's just an actor on stage, you know. It, the smallest things can 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 snap a person out of of the show. And, you know, going back to like I said, when my dad asked, like, why are why are you guys so bombastic with your movement and like you're so <sighs> with your eyes. And that's the thing too. It's just, you know, when you act in front of camera, you're subtle. You don't have to do, you don't have to be as crazy or, or be loud with your movement because you're performing solely to the camera. Um, Mm -hmm. While, while actors on stage, you know, I've seen, I've seen, I saw Hamilton from the very back of the San Francisco Orpheum years ago. And, I could still see the show perfectly because of how loud the actors moved and portrayed mm-hmm. themselves and, and projecting. That's another thing too, that it, it kind of sucks nowadays because it, it technology is, is seeping through theater all the time. It's, we have to adapt, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so we're losing that art of projection with performers because they rely a lot on microphones. Um, and it should be the opposite. You should always project no matter what. And I you know, in film you don't have to really worry about that stuff. And um, you know, I could be wrong though, because here's the thing. I'm not a I'm not a TV guy. I'm not a I'm not a film actor. I have friends who are in LA, you know, trying to be great film actors, and you know, they do totally different things compared to stage. The reason why I stayed on the stage is I just love it. It's just the environment, it's it's surreal. When you the best sound in the world to me is an empty theater stage. Cause it's so crazy to me. Cause that's where all the loud moments happen from applauses to even even booze if it happens to even the great great numbers or great great moments in, in dialogue and monologues that you see on plays or, or musicals. And that's just like kind of the the difference of it. But the similarities are still there though. I mean, you got the same goals, and we're all storytellers. That's what it really is. Theater, television, film, it all does come from theater. Like, we are the first. We are the OGs in the storytelling game. But, I mean, that's really what it is, you know?
0: It's almost then kind of like giving more credence to, like, the silent film actors, like the Charlie Chaplins of the world, because you mentioned the idea of projecting a lot um, through Mm -hmm. movement and that's what silent films relied Mm -hmm. on because you take out the element of dialogue and you only have Mm -hmm. like the stage piano in the background, whatever. It's like so much of what you need to convey comes through bodily movements. And to us Mm -hmm. now it looks kind of bizarre because we're watching it through a screen. Like if you're going to watch, the Great Train Robbery, one of the first silent films. You mm-hmm. see a bunch of crazy bodily movements, um, and mm-hmm. to us it looks weird. But you see a lot of those same movements on stage in theatrical performances today. So there's definitely a carryover there.
1: Yeah, you do, you see that transition too, because um, that's what I noticed too. And like I remember w- when I was in my screenwriting class, no, the screen a screener film, uh, my playwriting class. I forget which one but we were watching Nosferatu and mm-hmm. you know in that cl- in my class we had a couple people in my department my theater department we would sit next to each other and we noticed you know we saw we saw stuff that other people really couldn't see because we noticed the way they're moving in a stage it's just like watching a play on stage because they're so sporadic and quick with it because it those actors were kind of transferring to that from that you know so it, it really is kind of a cool transition thing. And then I remember watching the artist, which such a great movie. Um, it kind of brought that back to IY. I noticed I was like, God, these these he could be great. These are great stage actors, and they and I looked at their and they have background and career in theater, which is awesome. So
0: yeah, that's yeah. cool. That makes sense. Like good actors originally start on stage because you're literally given so like less tools to work with. I was going to ask you, like we're living in the world of 2023 great train Mm -hmm. robbery. Those silent films came out pre world war one. Obviously we know technology has become more innovative and almost, um, like hindering creativity. We know about the writer's guild strike and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, do you see technology as a hindrance to acting in the present or future? Um, or do you think it can be used solely as a beneficial tool?
1: When it comes to the overall story of, you know, whatever project it is or production, it, it'll it'll help. It'll be great. Um, I'm specifically like going to probably say movies because te- tech and theater, it's kind of, you have to have great props, great set, great lighting, great sound, you know, and that usually kind of stays the same, but with film, you know, you know it's come kind of, I remember hearing, I don't know if it's true, but Ian McKellen talking about, you know, performing during the Hobbit, not you know, not Lord of the Rings, but the Hobbit and he says I just perform in front of blue screens and green and this is not why i got into acting Mm -hmm. i think it can mess with the psych the psychology of an actor you know of performing with these green screens or you know super heavy focus on cgi rather than the acting you know feel Mm -hmm. but what i've noticed though is that a lot of people are getting sort of tired of the special effects world And have decided to really be indulged in these other, these kind of smaller movies, you know, that I think that's why A24 is very successful in that, because it's not just that originality that comes from them, but it's also the simplicity of it. It's not these crazy explosions or anything like that. It's, you know, a couple settings here, a couple settings there. And it's extremely dialogue heavy. And I've kind of noticed that like a lot of people were excited for, uh, I know you, you were for Asteroid City.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and and other stuff like i remember when parasite came out people were that was the thing to talk about um so i think when the focus is more towards the acting and the and the writing over the special effects you see the big success in including everything everywhere all at once mm-hmm. you can tell that it, even though it had amazing effects and and technology the true source of the reason why everyone loves that movie to death like you is the story is the actors. Like I I cry. I'm I don't even know why I cried during the rock scene.
0: I think everybody who saw it did.
1: I don't know why it just, I was like, why am I crying at this? You know, but it's simple stuff like that, that I think we're all going away from is is the stuff we grew up with because i know like you and i growing up the mcu was just starting and same thing with these big bombastics uh, special effects technology heavy movies but then the older we get the more we care about the subtle stuff and that's why mm-hmm. i think it became such a success now and while why movies such as like i think the flash is struggling right now because people, the first criticism I hear about that movie is the uh, the special effects, and I also hear the treatment of these FX artists. You know, it's kind of similar mm-hmm. to, you know, a lot of the success now to these television shows, to the uh, films, is not because of the FX anymore. It's not because of the writers and the actors, and that's why you know they're on strike. The writers on strike because they know that they know how mm-hmm. good they've been. You know, it, we're living in a new age and era of of film and creativity, which is awesome to see. But it, it kinda, you kind of have to have that balance, though. So I think that's where it can hinder the actor. It's just that psychology notion. Like, I would 10 times would rather perform in front of, you know, an actor rather than a picture of an actor on top of a tennis ball in a green dream right. room. You know, it's just different now. <laughs> It's I, I couldn't imagine doing that, but like I can do black box theater with minimal sets and everything, but I'm still working with other real people, not just a green screen. So,
0: yeah, it kind of also then just reinforces the importance of a good script. I um watched the other day. It's called Godland. It's on Criterion. I believe I gave you my login info for that. You should watch it. If you need the info, text me. Um, yeah, I probably will but it's just a it's a story about a danish priest who is um basically set to go to iceland to open up a church and he loses his sense of morality along the way and it's really really just natural there's no like fantastical or theatrical mise-en-scene elements it's all just like long shots of the landscape Mm -hmm. of denmark and iceland and it's beautiful and it's like nothing crazy in terms of the effect it's just the camera and the actors and a darn good script with dialogue that is touching on the human experience and it's like it's kind of just back to the basics of what a good film or good story should have um Mm -hmm. and it was refreshing to see that because we are so inundated with films like like Love and Thunder, Thor, is the first one that came to my mind. Yeah. Um, and while I love those movies and they have a place, it's definitely important to
1: it's go like, back it's to like,
0: where it started.
1: Yeah, it's like that, like, those kind of movies are kind of like the sweet treats, you know, like, mm-hmm. you love having it, like a little dessert or candy or whatnot, but you're not going to, you don't love it as much as a good, a real good cooked meal or something like that, which is what I see. You know, I, like the way that you talked about Godland is the same exact way I saw Banshees of Inisherin. Mm,
0: that's like, another nothing, great one.
1: I was like nothing. That was my favorite movie. I, you know I me. Mean? I was like, that's my. If I could be best picture winner, I would pick that one. But that's just me. Um, it was just simple. It was beautiful. And you got the got you got to see the actors carry the scene and not the effects that the actors relied on, like you would mm. see in those kind of superhero movies or crazy action films. But I'm not saying that those crazy action films and superhero movies are not needed. Of course they're needed. Look at spite of The Last Spider-Man, even though that's animated, but that was a fantastic time. And, and there's times where I do want to go have fun and not be super sad or or live in, a, or have that moment of thought. You know, there's times I want to come out and be like, yeah, that was fun. I saw, like I saw the, the last Fast and Furious movie. Why? Because I just want to have a dumb good time.
0: Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> it's kind of like junk food versus just, yeah. Eating the three course meal. Mm-hmm.
1: Both provide
0: is. something valuable, but mm-hmm. yeah, you need each one at a different time for sure. Mm-hmm. I got a tough question for you. Um, s- film solely. Okay. Couple actor or performances that you would consider your favorite of all
1: time. Dang. Tough question. Um, yeah, no. One that comes that hops into my mind is Mickey in the wrestler.
0: Mm, great one.
1: Um. Oh God. Um. John Cam. Uh, I think it's. I, I might get his name wrong. I hope I don't. Uh, John Cameron Mitchell. Um. In Hedwig and the Angry Inch, one of my all time. Probably it, it is probably my all time favorite musical. I'm looking up if I'm making sure I got it right. Um, it's, it's my all-time favorite musical. And he he made his original show that was original on Off-Broadway. Made it in a film in 2001. Unbelievable film. I still think it's the best stage to film adaptation of a musical ever. Um, and his performance is just surreal. It's unbelievable to me. Um, and he has a beautiful voice as well. Um, So I think of that one. I think uh, even like, even like silly stuff too. I mean, I love Jack Black in School of Rock. Mm -hmm. I think that's just like it's like a different performance, you know. Like I know when people think of performances, I think of like uh, There Will Be Blood or uh, No Country for Old Men. Anton Chigurh, like the and and even like Joker whichever mm-hmm. one you want to say all there really hasn't been that bad of a joker on, on movies. Cause they all have different iterations, but except for um, Jared Leto, except for Jared Leto. But <laughs> that, but that comes to writing that like, I honestly yeah, think he's a great true. actor. I think he's a good actor. I think method act is stupid. I think method act is ridiculous. Um, yeah, he was
0: like the only shining light in, um, uh, house of Gucci.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like I thought he did a good uh, job in that.
1: Um, ooh, but Matthew McConaughey and Dallas Buyers Club. That's a. Oh,
0: that's mm-hmm. a great one too.
1: That took me that I remember I watched that with your mom, and that one that blew us away. We're like, oh my god, like that one was heavy. Um, but man, yeah, you know what? Probably Mickey Working the Wrestler. That's like one of my all time favorite performances. And I in part in spice to so like i mean I'm even wearing a pro wrestling shirt, like. I love pro wrestling, but like he got it. Like, cause I I watch a lot of pro wrestling documentaries and, and like Dark Side of the Ring. And I hear these, especially that like that golden era and like how it decreases and just the love they have for the the industry and the business. I mean, Mickey Ward just knocked it out of the park and he, in the final scene, you know, where he gets he's, he's getting ready for the Ram. The Ram jam, Baby. For the- he died for the pop man, and you yeah. can just see that in his tears and the eyes. God, man, it's that that performance really took me out when I saw it. And looking back, I'm so sad he didn't win an Oscar for it. But then he did go up against Sean Penn and Milk, which was unbelievable as well. Yeah, but yeah. but we're living, dude. Like, and I just saw like a bunch of recent ones, probably because I grew up with them. But like, we are living in a performance heavy era. There's so many great performances that his like years and years when you know when we're old and people will talk still talk about those performances because if you look back at the older ones like they're all seen to be so similar they talk the same cadence um you know like if i showed you a, a scene from my girl friday or and then one of casablanca and i'll tell you which one's which to someone who's not privy to movies or performances like that they're going to say i don't know they both sound the same to me but if you did one of like the wrestler and like a monologue from the wrestler and a monologue from there will be blood. So you can clearly there's a difference, you know, because there's, there's so vastly different to each other from cadence to accents and everything. Well, back then it was more towards the same line until the seventies, I would say.
0: Mm-hmm. And so with that, then how do you know, like, obviously it's a feeling, so it might be hard to verbalize, but how do you know when it's a good performance? Like how do you know when it hits you, so to speak?
1: I think it's the comfort. It's that comfort you can see in the actor in their performances. Like they're comfortable to be this crazy or they're comfortable to be this broken. Um, I know when I do auditions, I always have tried to be comfortable where I'm at, no matter how stressed I will be just at auditions alone. Cause those are the moments where you got to sell yourself and you know tell them, pitch them to why I should be in the show. By performing a monologue or performing a 32-bar song. Um, mm-hmm. And so when I see those moments, like, they just look so effortless and comfortable with, with this, even though it's outside their box, you know? So, like, like for example, like, from Everything Everywhere All At Once, um, I forget his name. I don't know why I'm drawing a blank. He's, like, the most popular actor in the world. Uh, Kihi Kwan? Yeah, Kiwi Kwan, like you can see from him as a person, he's so happy and such a fort, and like very looks at life very happily, you know. Mm-hmm. And there's moments in those in those hard times, you know, uh, in the scenes in that movie, like in the alley, or or during like the divorce or talking about that stuff, just the heavy stuff. Like he just looks so goddamn comfortable, mm-hmm. uh, but he looks so comfortable to it and approaching it too, like with an actor knows how to approach a role correctly. They, they're, they're in good hands, even if it was a bad script. Cause like, I like, um, I know Ben Affleck when he was Batman, I was like, he's a good Batman. He just had a bad script. I'm sorry. Like, mm-hmm. I think he, like, he approached it correctly. He knew what he was doing. It just came out wrong because it didn't work. And then we go back to Jared Leto. He approached it incorrectly. Granted, he did have a bad script, but he approached it incorrectly to a point where we just weren't—we uh, didn't see Joker. We saw Jared Leto just messing around, you know. Mm-hmm. And you kind of see—you can—you can see that when it happens, you know. So I, I for me, and even when I like, I—I I tell my kids, I tell my students, like when I was doing teaching, and they're doing acting stuff, or or when they were performing *Sousa*. I just said, "Hey, just." relax have fun be comfortable you know that's how I want that's how I approach my my actors and I'll just say just be comfortable because that's what I always try to do I'm like I'll just be comfortable even if I'm in a uncomfortable situation I will find a way to adapt to make me make the actor feel comfortable to then make your character feel comfortable I know I said that word 10,000 times in the sentence but <laughs> that's no. just how I see it you know
0: it's it doesn't have to be like method per se but it is almost like a like a death to self the moment you step on the stage like you want to you like once jared leto enters frame like he is no longer jared leto um if you can portray that to the audience to the point where they forget oh hey this is a guy acting that's mm-hmm. the mark of a good performance and you mentioned jared leto you said it's like jared leto just messing around um i th- i was thinking of like willem defoe's role in the lighthouse like i never once mm-hmm. thought of willem defoe the man i thought of this tormented guy trapped in a lighthouse with another lighthouse worker it's yeah it's like the death of self brought to stage conveying real emotions but through a new mm-hmm. lens for sure it's
1: it's definitely that Stanislavski approach in acting. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know if you know Stanislavski or Meisner. Oh yeah. Um, my my you know I personally I love doing Meisner. Meisner's just a lot of fun. But that's to, like I know for a fact that um, Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson had to have done Meisner exercises with each other because they are relying on one another throughout the whole entire time, and they're using rep. And you, if you tell in that movie, they use repetition all the time. To to invade different emotions and convey um how the audience should feel if they should feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. uh, if they should feel weary of something that can occur at any second, because it'll look like you know, Will and character characters gonna snap, even Coding Brown Panson at a moment, you're like, Oh, he's gonna these both people are gonna snap, you know. They're gonna
0: kill each other.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and um I think that's really it. It just depends on how the actor approaches things. I think that will get them there. Um, and and I get a, I, I do get annoyed, and I'm not trying to sound snobby or anything, but I do get annoyed when people talk about um, method acting. Like, oh, that's the way to do it. The best performance is all method. Um, I remember they're like, oh, Daniel Day-Lewis, he went to a butcher shop uh, and went to butcher school to learn how to be Billy Butcher. Man, that's method. I was like, that's not method. That's just being – that's doing – character research. That's just yeah. figuring out your character. Now, what Leto did, you know, sending dead rats, sending stuff to make their cast uncalled. Like, what are you... You're ruining the chemistry with your cast, for one. Two, it's cheap. Matt Mickelson s- said it the best. I remember when it came out, he put out an, artic- uh, an article put out, Matt Mickelson saying that you know, uh, method acting is bull. It's cheating. You're not acting. When I act, I'm my character in that one moment, that one scene, and then I'm myself when the cameras are off or when I'm off the stage, you know? And I said, that's it. That's really the best way to put it. I'm like, "Uh, so, and it's not for everyone. Not everyone can do it. it. I'm like, if you do that method, go ahead. The body alterations, that's fine. But do not, I say, do not force it upon your cast to it my professor my professor had a funny story because he was a he was a he's been on broadway he he was on he was on broadway for eight years and he was my professor for one year um and i we we talked about that and he says i had this one person one actor we had a fight scene and you know i went up to him i said hey you know like let's do some fight choreo i'll hit my chest right here and make it sound and the guy's like no i want you to really punch me and my see my professor was not comfortable with that you know and, and he's like, no, I, I don't want to do that. He's like, well, that my character would love if you punched me. And, and my professor's was like, I don't, my character doesn't, my character wants to punch you. My my myself doesn't, you know, I don't want to hurt you or anything like that. And it was, it, I guess it came to a big fiasco, you know? Um, and that's what I've noticed about like stuff like that. So I, I think it's ridiculous and I'm, I'm with Matt Mickelson on that, you know, but. But if but if you go out and do something like Mickey Work had to le- learn under the Anawaii family. If you don't know the Anawaii family, they're the they're the royal family of pro wrestling. You know, he he went and did eight weeks and learned how to do some stuff on the on the mat in the squared circle. That's just doing great character work, great character research, and putting you into the character's world. That's just some Stanislavski work, while while making others' people world a mess. It's just not like go watch Jim and Andy. Have you seen that documentary? Yeah, I was going to
0: mention that. Yeah,
1: that's exactly how like I would have been one of those people who would roll their eyes if Jim Carrey were to walk in on set. I would not look forward to that. That's not what we're in for. We're in to tell stories, not to be someone that we're trying to portray. You know, Mm -hmm. it seems too forced and uh, turns me off, really turns me off all the time.
0: Yeah, I think it's more important to be like a student of the game and like a student of the craft because, Mm -hmm. yeah, focus in on your own performances and then inherently everybody else will Mm -hmm. in turn be better because of it. Um, There are some good performances in the film that you wanted to talk about today. Mm -hmm. Um, We're we're going to talk a little bit about Moneyball. Uh, Moneyball was a film released in 2011 starring Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill. Uh, the synopsis reads, Oakland A's general manager, Billy Bean, success- Billy Bean's successful attempt to assemble a baseball team on a lean budget by employing computer-generated analysis to acquire new players. Um, this is a true story, a biographical drama, and we saw this together, I believe, in California for the first time upon its release. Um mm-hmm. Moneyball. This is based on our conversation now. We've been kind of talking about the realm of acting and things like that. Um maybe for others, this wouldn't have been the first choice for their film, but you chose Moneyball here. Um mm-hmm. lot to say about Moneyball, but start us off kind of what what made you choose this movie?
1: So this is probably like even though I said Rocky is my favorite movie, I don't see Rocky as a sports movie because I don't think boxing is the reason why we watch it. We watch it for the character development, it's a character piece. This is my favorite sports movie ever. I, I remember while, Like even though I was I was a pre- I think I was a freshman in high school when I saw this in California with you, I was just in awe. And the weird part about it that it's baseball and it's about like analytics, mm-hmm. and it should be the most boring thing in the world really it should be the most boring thing in the world. Cause, but it's the way that Aaron Sorkin writes it and the way that the scenes are portrayed by Jonah Hill or Billy Bean and the ensemble. It's just so entertaining. I don't know. I, I can't stop looking at it. And I think the editing is fantastic. And I was just thinking too, like when you told me, he's like, pick a movie. I was like, well it's summer and I was actually watching a baseball game. Um, and I was like, oh, let's do Moneyball, you know, because baseball season. And that movie's 10 times more exciting than seeing the Rockies lose 25 to 1.
0: <laughs> yeah, or watching any baseball game for that matter.
1: Yeah. And it, you know, it's I, I I the Oakland Athletics are my I, I consider my AL team. Like I'm a Rock, I love the Rockies, but like my second favorite team are the Athletics. Kind of due to this movie when I was like young, because I was like, I'm gonna mm-hmm. watch this team. And they kind of sucked at that time. But then when they got like Josh Reddick, on the Cespedes. Like they got this great team coming. Oh, dude, I was all in. And then throughout the time, I, you know, I keep my eyes and watch them athletics games, and um, it's sad what's going on right now for them. Um, I don't think it's fair because I know the city of Oakland loves the Athletics, and so that's why I kind of picked this movie. But you know, it the these Moneyballs like the kind of movies I look forward to. Um, I love dialogue. I love plays. I love like this movie could be, get rid of the car scenes, I guess, and maybe some moments. This could you can translate this on a play pretty pretty well on the stage. Um, and then Sorkin just knows how to write. He just knows how. He's my favorite screenwriter. Um, yeah, of, probably of all time. I love watching The West Wing. I love. I love social network. That's probably his best one. Like, mm-hmm. This is my favorite one. Um, and he wrote he wrote the stage adaptation of the Kill a Mockingbird, which is unbelievable. If you had a chance, like the drive from Grand Junction to Denver, it's well worth it. You know? <laughs> um, it's a f- wonderful, wonderful play. And and this, I don't know, man. It just like kind of spoke to me. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's the themes. It's not just related to baseball. It's the land of missed opportunities and it translates so well. Um, And I think the performances are unbelievable. I think this is Jonah Hill's best one. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's, that's the initial thing that stood out to me. I want to talk about the themes here in a little bit, but the performances is what, captivates me more than anything I think Mm -hmm. Um, specifically the way that Brad Pitt playing Billy Bean um, plays off of Peter Brand who is played by Jonah Hill Uh, they have like the best chemistry together you mentioned it's a rather mundane story but anytime they're in the room together it's everything but Mm -hmm. mundane they're Mm -hmm. talking to each other in a really kind of just at first it's very like timid in terms of the way Jonah Hill's acting, his body movements. We talked about projecting. It almost seems like he is wanting to just hide in the corner, be a fly on the wall. But Mm -hmm. then as his relationship with Billy Bean progresses, uh, they become more friendly with each other. He, he wears the Oakland A's hat when he's making the trade and he's doing little hand gestures and he's like, kind of picking up on some of He's... Billy's mannerisms. It's a cool little progression. Just
1: they're they kind of build off of each other in such a unique way.
0: I like the character
1: I remember in that trade scene. The one that the moment that I like I don't know why it stands out to me so well. It's when they get the trade, he does this and then they and they do that with each other. But then he misses Come on. the second one. Come on. He misses the second one. It's so – he's such – he still, like, gets that nerdy feeling. It's like he gets hyped, but he misses the second one. He's like <clears> – <throat>
0: it's,
1: like, it's so – um, yeah, no, they work off – like, they just work off so well with each other. And and the way that Brad Pitt delivers some of his lines are so great in this. It's just he he understood what Aaron Sorkin was looking for. Clearly, um, I always tell my uh, students, understand why you're saying this. The playwright mm-hmm. has a reason they are saying these simple words, but there's meaning behind it, you know? So when he talks about, you know, the athletics being the run of the litter or even, even simple caps of the scene, like when he spits into his cup,
0: mm-hmm
1: you know it's just so awe looking I, I, like i would be so quiet in that room with the with the scouts and everything like while they're all talking i would have just like heard that i would be like i did i quit like <laughs> he has a point you know <laughs> and and one 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 scene that like hurt was when he's on the phone with with uh what um it's a Peter Bram, right? Mm-hmm. With yeah, Peter. Peter Brand. And, and he says, like, out of nowhere, he's like, hey, it's Billy. And he's like, oh, hey, he's like, would you have taken me in the first round? Yeah, man, you were great and all this. And you can clearly tell even Jonah Hill, like, had an inflection in his voice that made it sure that he was lying.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then he's like, cut the crap. Like, would you have drafted me? And he's like, not no, taking you ninth round. No signing yep. bonus. You can, like, even then, like, you can just hear that. It's just, God, the honesty and the use of silence in this is wonderful, too. Um, it's, it's it's a quiet movie. It's very quiet. The only loud parts are just when they hit, when Hatterberg hits the home run. That's the moment where it's, like, loud. Yeah, it's
0: kind of the, the finale at the end, mm-hmm. hitting the and home then, run for the 20th win.
1: Mm-hmm. Or even then, when he, um, when they're in the locker room, and then it's you can tell Brad Pitt held that beat. He had like where he breaks the music, uh huh, and throws uh, the Gatorade can. Yeah, and then he like points up. I know for like you can tell that Brad Pitt held that a bit longer. He held that beat. He wanted that silence to really resonate, and then he he throws the Gatorade with that loud moment, and then you hear the silence again you know, mm-hmm. and it's kind of that reminder of the moment that they're in. And like, it's, it's just so much fun to watch. It's
0: so intense too, through mm-hmm. like even just, you mentioned you wanted to watch this because of the dialogue and it's so intense because I think of some of the scenes, like there's the, the scouting scene where they're just talking forever about like the looks and appearances of certain characters. And the mm-hmm. dialogue there is great. Like the old guys, they keep talking about, like I wrote it down, uh, a lot of pop off the bat, things like that. and Clean mm-hmm. face, this kind of thing. Um, Billy Bean's like, what are we doing, guys? And just the way he aggressively will grab nuts out of a bowl or popcorn out of a coffee filter and just shove it in his mouth. Um, mm-hmm. There's no sense of like delicacy with it. Like he's very you can just say it's tense all throughout Mm -hmm. yet it's kind of oxymoronic in the sound because it is there. Like you said, there's not a lot of sound being played throughout. Um, it's rather silent
1: mm -hmm. and the silence is what makes it tense too. The only time I think where he's not tense is with his daughter When he's with his daughter. He just seems to be, even his daughter seems tense, you know, asking, Hey, you're going to lose your job. Hey, you're doing okay. And he's like, you're doing it again. You're doing it again. You know, worrying about me. Because he, he doesn't want that. Ten- he doesn't want that to enter their relationship. Um, and that was just one, you know, awesome to see. And the thing with this dialogue too, I don't know if it was you, like just me. It sounds too natural. It sounds too, like it sounds so authentically a conversation. Because if you know in playwriting and screenwriting, you don't want to sound too natural. You don't want too many dialogue tags, like, uh, uh huh," stuff like that. But some people stumble on their words in this. Or, or it just seems like that could actually, like, be a true conversation that can happen in real life. Like, mm-hmm. with the scout who gets fired, you know, saying all this, you know, stuff. And then um, Peter being so awkward like Jonah Hill's like too awkward in this. It's, it's so good. But it's like authentically awkward. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like when, when he throws the base, when Billy gets the offer from the Red Sox, he just throws the baseball at him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there, the, the awkwardness is. Progressively worse and worse as it goes out. There's um, the moment where like, right when the season starts, it's at spring training. Um, Billy just walks up behind Peter's shoulder and he's like, this better work. And then he pauses <laughs> for, like, two seconds. He's like, no, I'm just
1: joking with you. <laughs> or or the plane, the plane scene where he's like, how come uh, Billy doesn't travel with us? He, he doesn't want to get connected to his players. Oh. Yeah. Makes how come a soda's a dollar? <laughs> and, and he's just like, um, and then he puts it on the wide, but when he, like, keeps looking at him, he's like, that's it. Yeah, he's like, I'm and done. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny when i hear that um and but the what's cool about aaron sorkin man he instills monologues without us even knowing that it's a monologue honestly so i know you know of course you have billy Bean. you know you can't play yankee ball or where the run of the litter that monologue but then you also got like the probably the most important one, which kind of gives Aaron Sorkin the hint, the the here's what the movie's really going to be about is when Peter has his monologue about you know the land of misfit toys, um, what people thought, but these people can be our team for almost two hundred twenty three
0: thousand mm-hmm.
1: dollars. And what's awesome about Aaron Sorkin too in this is that this can be the most convoluted movie if it wants to be you know and make us feel dumb it could be like the big short big short was a good movie but it purposely made you feel dumb because we didn't know what they were talking about even in the movie it kind of acknowledges that by saying here's margot robbie in a bathtub uh about this thing in economics or whatnot and then Mm -hmm. and she kind of conveys it she's like all right you can go away now that just tells me you you know the audience is not gonna. This is a niche audience kind of movie, and if you have a gen ed audience, they're not gonna know a single thing. So let's address that they're dumb. Aaron Sorkin doesn't do that. In that one monologue where where Peter's talking about these players that we can get, it it made me like, oh, he's educating us. Mm-hmm. He's not making me feel dumb about what this is about and how, like, why these players are so important, why it's so important for Haddenberg to start over Pena. Or, um, why you know why he needs to do this? It, it it makes sense for everyone now to enjoy the film rather than a niche audience enjoy the film. Now, if you're a baseball fan, it's a wonderful film no matter what. But if you're not in the baseball, like I like I'll say, our family was not the biggest in the baseball. We're more of a basketball, football kind of family. Like we watch mm-hmm. baseball once in a while, but we didn't like go into like analytics and statistics. Aaron Sorkin kind of knew that That that's probably his biggest hurdle. And he made that and he kind of did the same thing, like the social network. He didn't make us like, he didn't make us feel dumb. And I think that's awesome.
0: It's the authenticity of the dialogue. You talked about how it just feels so natural. Um, Typically speaking, like movie dialogue should be removed of like general chit chat and things like that because it can distract Unless you're like Quentin Tarantino and can masterfully add it in, um, mm-hmm. there's the dialogue that establishes the problem really well at that scouts conversation. You kind of hinted at it earlier, but he's Billy says like, "There's the the super rich teams, then the there's the poor teams. teams, yeah, then there's fifty pile of crap, yeah. and there's us, then there's us." I was like that's perfectly written anybody my my junior year high school brain can understand that a six-year-old mm-hmm. can understand that and it surpasses the sport of baseball um mm-hmm. it's more it is, than it, just a baseball story here
1: it's very universal mm-hmm. um you know not not just saying that you know these players had missed opportunities in their careers based on buff of looks and and maybe decisions that they made off the field you know that can translate to anywhere you know, and that final moment where Peter shows Billy being the footage of uh, Euclid's. No, not Euclid's. Euclid? Is it the group? Ra- yeah, it yeah. rounds the bases, you know, and then he just hit a 60, you know, 60 feet all over the gate.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. It's
1: moments like that. Even with simple, how can't you be romantic about baseball? That just translates. How can't you be romantic about life? You know? mm-hmm. And I think that's what's cool that they do in this movie is they make baseball universal. You know, you don't have to be a baseball fan to watch this movie. You don't have to. It, it It's cool if you are, but if you just want to watch a good movie, just turn on Moneyball. Yeah. And you'll learn, you'll learn not just about the, that season, but you'll learn about a lot about maybe yourself or where your life is or how you feel. Maybe you feel, you know, similar to Hatterberg, who had nerve damage, uh, was dropped like he was nothing, and then gives a second opportunity that changes his career.
0: Yeah, for me, the movie is about having an unwavering confidence in yourself, not cockiness, but confidence mm-hmm. in yourself. Because the Billy Bean, he was basically a loser all of his life from after high school and his mm-hmm. playing career never really caught stride um, coming back into the general manager role. He's trying something new that others would deem crazy, bizarre, unrelated to the feel and game of baseball, but he has confidence of him in himself, even when he has to fake it sometimes. Um, same thing. You mentioned Hatterberg, like his whole story, his character arc is him needing to find that confidence. He has mm-hmm. that Hilarious conversation in the dugout or, or in the like the players. Oh, room in the, the, the background. <laughs> like, what's your biggest fear? He's like the ball being hit in any realm of my direction. <laughs> and he's like no, translating that to hitting the game-winning home run for the twentieth win. Like there's mm-hmm. a there's a unwavering confidence that must be had in order for that to happen, and it's more than just a baseball message. There, it's a life motto, um, and mm-hmm. then. Billy never compromises in that confidence. He turns down the Red Sox um, to stay with the A's, though the Red Sox ultimately won the World Series two years later. Um, mm-hmm. It's that unwavering confidence, even when others are not on your camp, in your camp, on your side, um, mm-hmm. to trust in yourself when the odds are stacked against you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's also just, yeah, because, I mean, he had confidence in Peter, who was just a guy in a cubicle at the Indians. And now, you know, he helped him with this team. Um, and you see the confidence come from Peter as well, you know, growing the whole entire time around Billy. And and I guess you could say that moment, too, where, you know, he, t- he teaches him how to cut people if he has to. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just like, What are you doing, dude? He's like, Just cut it. He's like, Just stop. He's like, What would you rather be shot five times in chest and bleed out, or just take one in the head? Like, My and- kid just
0: started school here. He's like, Well, it's probably best that you don't pull them out what- in the middle of the year. <laughs> what
1: are we doing <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? It's like, I don't know, dude. <laughs> I don't want to do this. <laughs> and, it's, and, and there's humor in there, too. You know, it's just this the, the script is just so. It has a little bit of everything in there, um, and then I, I even wrote when it comes to like the editing and the cinematography, I said like the cinematography relied on reality, yeah, you know, and how the opening scene was just you know it was the ALDS I think it was with the Yankees mm-hmm. and it's just Billy by himself in the Oakland in an empty arena, and that kind of gave us the hint of where, you know, this is not going to be about the players as much like a major league or bull Durham. This is about the behind the scenes, the empty stadiums. You're not going to watch, you know, you're going to see a bunch of baseball games, even though you have that one montage. Um, and then the use of like the voiceovers from like different radios talking about, you know, Billy's decisions and what he's doing or the loss of Giambi and Damon. Um, it's just ridiculously cool. You know, and they kind of nailed, like, they really did good on the look, like, Chris Pratt, like, recreating that moment, and then you see the real cut of Haddenberg in that, and that cool. celebration. Um, or just the montage of the 20-win season. Um, I just thought, it's just a real, like, that's how, like, a sports movie to me should be. It should not just be about the game, it should be about the people, the characters. Um, and sometimes I think it's forgotten, but I think they nailed it on this one.
0: Yeah, I like the the cuts with the actual fans, like holding the posters and decked out in the A's attire and all that. Um, just, go ahead.
1: I was just gonna say, but I'm like, and it reminds me, like, how sad, like that they're gonna move probably to Vegas and and those moments will never be relived in 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 that city like that again it just makes me kind of sad now, it we, is now where we are cuz we didn't they probably didn't expect this 13 years ago so
0: they have one of the coolest baseball hats too i love just the yellow brim with the green hat and the a mm-hmm. at the top
1: um, you used to have one i remember you had the a yeah. they wore a lot i have, I I have that, my a's hat back home and i wear it a bunch Way, I was I influenced by
0: Mac know. Dre because he would always wear the A's hat.
1: <laughs> I thought it was uh what Geezy. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. Um one of the things I like is um like I said the relationship he has with his daughter and how that kind of changes him as a his demeanor is more relaxed, I guess, and he kind of his his life is similar to a situation i remember like when he goes pick up his daughter and he's in the he's in his uh ex-wife's home and Mm -hmm. it's super modern it's super sleek it's beautiful and then we go to them which is still nice it's still a good home but it's just different you know it's kind of like where he was with the at an oakland coliseum and then he's at um a really nice office in cleveland uh, Or he goes through Fenway Park, and it's just like similarities there. The parallel is really cool to see.
0: And then it's often juxtaposed then with the excitement of the win streak because there's so many moments where we get the montage of them winning. They're at 12 wins. They're at 16 wins. And he – it's very loud in those chaotic moments, but then it cuts to him, and he's just – in the his office in the workout room and it's mm-hmm. just silent he's very much so unamused with the theatrics and he doesn't want the credit that's why i said confidence over cockiness because you mentioned like the voiceover with the radio hosts like they begin to give credit to art how the like the on-field mm-hmm. manager played by philip seymour hoffman who did great um and he's like um peter brand says to him he says something like do you hear who they're giving credit to and he's like all i hear is the word win and -hmm. so it's it's like he's he doesn't care about the theatrics he doesn't care about the glamour that comes with it kind of reflecting in his house right he has more Mm -hmm. than enough money to modernize his house um like Mm -hmm. his ex-wife and things like that but it's not about that it's just about betting on yourself no matter what and kind of avoiding everything else along the way Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he with that too i like the you mentioned the daughter and i was going to say this earlier but i like how the song that she sings also directly reflects his position mm-hmm. caught in the middle life is a game love is a riddle blah 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 blah. just like everything that he's yeah the show by link i believe mm-hmm. um I love that when she's singing the song through his radio and then he just starts crying. Mm, I feel like at that
1: moment, he had a sense of direction now. He's not, mm-hmm. he can just, you know, he doesn't have to play this m- moment anymore. You know, this a weight seems to be off his shoulders. Cause he helped prove himself of who he is. Cause no one would offer that like much money to someone who's been unproven he knows that he's been proved, like he proved himself. And like you said, that confidence that carried him. And then his daughter just saying, just enjoy the show, you know, because mm-hmm. you never did. And for that, you're such a loser.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's when it and comes think, full circle to me for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I agree. Cause even that, and that was like the one time in his car where he's just, he's not doing drastic turns. He's not doing donuts, you know, being, you know, relieving stress in that way. He's just cruising, listen to the song and he's breaking out. He's going to break down and probably laughing at that moment too, because he has that sense of direction now and he's, Mm -hmm. he's proven to not just everyone, even though he doesn't care about that, but he most importantly, he kind of proves something to himself.
0: Yeah. And so love it. Love it. As we wrap up here, um, we end these episodes by giving a score out of a hundred, um, No rhyme or reason. You don't have to explain. You can explain. Um, But Moneyball, what would you give this movie out of 100 on the Eric Venegas theater teacher scale?
1: (laughs) For me, Moneyball, I'll give it 90. I'll probably give it like a 90, 92, 93. I'm in that comfortable range. Nice. I Like I said, it's my favorite sports movie. It's the one that I could watch back and forth again. I guess I'll only be... Like if you if you want to look at that season, like now this is where the baseball fans come in. You know they did have the AL MVP that year that was never discussed in that movie, as well as the Cy Young winner that has been on that team before. Uh, before. And then like it was a stacked team, like it was a fairly like playoff ready kind of team. It's just the free agents and the emphasized. Like if you want to like nitpick, but that's like the only nitpick you can have to me. So mm-hmm. I give it I'll give it a ninety three. I'll stick.
0: 93 it's a it's a revered score there that's in the Mm -hmm. the a range i give it an 83 83 okay 83 it's and i don't know if there's anything it can do for me to boost that score i think it's sitting at a solid b um the performances are what drives it for me as well as Mm -hmm. the themes they could have made this like you said a movie just about numbers and analytics and bore us to sleep with it but they didn't they added a lot of those human connections that we can all kind of just see within our own lives being played out Mm -hmm. um it's not one that i'm gonna necessarily like recommend to everybody um though i think everybody could watch it i think that's maybe Mm -hmm. what's not getting it into the a range for me um but yeah i don't really have anything bad to say about it it's a great movie um rotten tomatoes Audience gives it an 86, and the critics gave it a 94. Wow! Um, I <laughs> and I think a lot of that has and that's, to go with Brad
1: With Brad, the critics or yeah, the critics. I think I don't. I think he was nominated. I could be wrong.
0: He was it, do mom. you think this is his best performance? Just off the top
1: of your head. For a while, I thought that. But then once upon a time in Hollywood, that that to me was like that was the Brad Pitt performance. <laughs> when you when you can when I, you can comfortably say that he outshined Leonardo DiCaprio, that's saying, that's really saying something in moments like that. You know?
0: Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. I think that's that's the movie that he'll be remembered for. I think. I mean, got um, him, and he had the
1: cool dude. He, him and Matthew McConaughey. Arguably like the coolest like award acceptances that like yeah. I've seen. Like that's just not, not like gracious or it's just cool. Like they just know how to be cool. <laughs>
0: have you read you can Green argue lights. that they're
1: the which one?
0: Green lights, it's the Matthew McConaughey memoir.
1: No, I haven't.
0: You should um if you have Audible, I listened to it. Um, one of my favorite audiobooks because it's all Matthew McConaughey reading his book and he just sounds so freaking awesome.
1: <laughs> I love I love when they do that. Like I read um I have Audible so I, and I always like I'll, I'll pick the books, usually memoirs or something like that. And I hope that the person is reading it, you know? So like I read one and um about Drew McIntyre who's a pro wrestler. He's like one of my favorites. And he he did an awesome audiobook about his life and all that stuff. And then and then I remember Listening to I come as uh, I came as a shadow about John Thompson, but he mm-hmm. passed away before then, and it was just an awesome book. And yeah, so I'm at the. I always see it on like shelves. I was like, I'm gonna want to read that.
0: Hey, you got to check out Green Lights. It looks like Brad Pitt. He was a nominee for an Oscar Best Performance by an Actor in a Leading Role.
1: I know John Jonah was, was
0: also nominated for that was a supporting one. role.
1: That was his first one. And that's when people were like, wow, he can actually act and all that. Then he did mm-hmm. that thing in uh, uh, This is the End where he's like all pretentious now. <laughs> and he's like an Academy Award winning <laughs> or nominated actor. But but I, but this, but I this you can say that this movie really catapulted Jonah Hill.
0: Oh, yeah. It kind of, yeah, it brought him into another realm to see what he can do for sure. It's
1: kind of like uh, what Seth Rogen in uh, Steve Jobs was. Mm-hmm. That helped catapult him, even though he doesn't do it too often, but he that was a great performance.
0: Fun game. fact on This Is The End, that was the last rented movie at the last brick-and-mortar blockbuster.
1: You would know that.
0: <laughs> Isn't that bizarre?
1: That's crazy, though. That was what, like, 20... That movie came out when? Like, 20, 2013, I oh, 2013, I think. So. Oh, 2013? I think so. It was around 10, that time, for sure. It came out 10 years ago? Yeah, where's the time gone?
0: flies by man yeah dude, 2013
1: Yep. that's insane dude but
0: yeah. anyways you have anything else for the people mr venegas
1: i'm a proponent of supporting the theater spaces across the country so go to your local community theater go to a local high school go to com- college community college don't matter if they got if they're hosting a musical or a play go see it you'll usually be very happy afterwards go see a play though if you like movies go see a play especially if it's like a Neil Simon play go see that so go see shows go go support the arts I'm all about that and always support public public education of the arts as well so
0: amen brother amen (laughs) 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 yeah we'll have to have you back on here after your play so you can tell us about it
1: yeah we'll do like a musical next time all right I'm all about musicals one yeah, let's do it. I know Netflix.
0: um I think Hedwig is on Criterion. Last time I checked it was. So I'll have to check it out.
1: It's so but dude, if you do see that, it is a weird show, but it is amazing. It's I I like weird very very much a character project, you know, about Hedwig, but it, those songs are awesome. They're very ambiguous. I love ambiguity in lyrics. Mhm. So, definitely recommend that.
0: Yeah, I'll check it out. Um, TTF I Nation. I appreciate
1: you. Appreciate you having
0: yeah. me on. Yeah, of course, dude. Anytime. I know you've been wanting to come on for a little bit. I've wanted you to come on. And summertime, perfect time. Perfect. Talk some baseball. Talk some money ball. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for coming on, Mr. Venegas. Proud of you, brother. Keep doing what appreciate you're doing. You. Proud of you, too, Mr. Maine. TTF Nation, proud of you as well. <laughs> Hope you're enjoying your summer. Go outside. Go on a walk do your homework stay up to date on the twitter at teacher film talk stay up to date on the tiktok if you desire and peace out